Hey Grace Marietta and welcome to our first online service. Uh, we're excited that you've joined us this morning and are hoping that you've gathered around with your family and with your people today and are joining us for this service. Uh, a couple things as we get started. Uh, one, I just want to ask for your patience with us in this season. Uh, I want to thank you for the way you guys have carried yourself this week. There's lots of cool stories coming out of the community, the way that you're loving and serving and taking care of your neighbors and all those things. Uh, but this is the first global pandemic that we've ever pastored through. Uh, and this is new territory for all of us. And so we're doing the very best we can. Uh, to pray and discern together and listen to local government authorities and local schools and try and discern what's best and what we should uh, be doing. So for the next seven days, there's going to be no events at the church. Uh, we'll reevaluate that and get back to you and let you know what's happening after those seven days. The next three Sundays, we're going to gather together and do online services. Uh, this is in alignment with what local government officials and state government officials have told us is wise at this time. Uh, and it's the first time I think in the history of the church where actually being good neighbors means we don't meet together. Uh, and so we're going to be gathering uh, together in homes and doing these online services over the coming week. It may look different every week. We're going to try and decide and discern what the best way for us to do this is. Uh, but we've kind of thrown this together last minute. Uh, and done the best we could with it this week. Uh, a couple quick announcements. Easter is coming, uh, and on Easter Sunday, we're planning on meeting together again. Uh, we're planning on doing baptisms that day. If you're interested in being baptized, uh, just simply hit the contact information that is on this website and say, I'd like to be baptized. Spring Hill Camp is coming, and registration is available for that. Go to our kids section. Uh, that is June 15th through the 19th, and we would love to have you and your kids uh, there. Um, tithing is important, especially in this season where we're not gathering together. And so I want to encourage everybody who's listening and everybody who's a part of our family to go to our giving tab on our website and sign up for online giving. That really, really will help us through this season. And I just want to give a couple really quick words uh, for kind of how we navigate this space uh, over the coming uh, weeks and maybe even months. Uh, for us. Uh, A.W. Tozer once said that a scared world needs a fearless church. Uh, and we want to be living in a way that we're viewing this not as this terrifying moment in the life of the church, but as an opportunity for us to actually model and share the love of Christ and be the neighbors uh, in our community that we've been called to be. And so we're already hearing examples of how many of you from the church are caring for the most vulnerable among us. Uh, our neighbor across the street uh, is uh, a couple that we've gotten to know. Their son was the paramedic who drove the first uh, guy that passed away in Cobb County from the virus to the hospital. And then he went and spent the weekend at their home. Uh, and so they were already have been exposed to the virus and have kind of quarantined themselves. Uh, over the next few weeks, and uh, we've done the very best we can to be good neighbors. We've gone to the grocery for them. Um, we've been texting back and forth with them, and we've been communicating ways in which we can serve them the best. And I just want to encourage every single person that is a part of Grace Marietta to look out for your neighbors who are the most vulnerable. 
Um, maybe knock on the door, send some texts, check in with your neighbors and see if there's anything that you can be doing for them or ways that you can be serving for them. Uh, we don't want to kind of hole up and, and be afraid. We want to step into this, but we also want to be wise in the way that we step into this. Um, we are working right now with some of the schools and some local government officials on what are the best ways that we can engage the virus and best ways that we can serve the vulnerable among us. Um, we're already working with the high schools and some of the elementary schools and middle schools about uh, how do we serve the kids who are on free lunches and uh, now that they're going to be at home uh, won't get those free lunches. We're already having conversations with state and local government officials about how we can best serve during this time and during this crisis. And so our posture is a posture of faith. Uh, our posture is a posture of service. And our posture is the same posture of the early church that went out and loved and served even in the middle of crisis, um, a crisis and trouble and, and, and struggles. And so we're going to continue um, to not stick our heads in the sand in isolation and wall ourselves off, um, but we are going to step in and love and serve in every imaginable way possible. So this morning, here's what I want to ask you to do. I want you to gather with your family. If you're there with your family, I want you to get your kids around a table. If you're there with your family and with your kids, if you're alone, just find a quiet place. Uh, I want to ask you to put your phones away uh, and I want to ask you to engage. I know it's easy when you're at home to be distracted by a million different things. I just want to ask your attention for the next hour. Uh, I want to ask you to zero in as if you were in church on Sunday morning uh, to zero in to what we're doing here. We're going to do some worshiping together. We're going to do some prayer together. We're going to have some word together. Uh, and I want to ask you just to kind of set everything aside and, and join us in that. So I'm going to open us in a word of prayer. Uh, and then Tyler's going to lead us in some worship. Uh, and we'll get moving. Heavenly Father, we just thank you that you are good and that you are in control and that your perfect love casts out fear. And so, Father, I pray for every anxious heart uh, that is out there right now. I pray for every family that is struggling with illness or with sickness. I pray that you would guide and direct and love and serve us in this time. I pray for your wisdom and discernment for our leadership. And I pray that you would teach us to be great neighbors during this time. We love you and we thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. We're in a series called Wide Awake. Uh, and we've been talking about our vision and our values. And the really cool thing about this series and kind of where we're at right now in the stage of our church's life is that none of our vision and values have ever been centered on us gathering on Sunday mornings. They've all, about, they've all been about us expressing the life of the church outside the walls of the church. And so we started a few weeks ago talking about the value of wrecking the roof, which is mean, means we're going to be apostolic. We're going to dream big dreams. Uh, we're not going to allow a little box to contain us, and we're going to do anything we can to get people to Jesus. Then we talked about soaking the altar, which means we're going to have radical obedience and holy expectation of what God is doing. Last week, we talked about hearing the whisper, and this week, we want to talk about passing the cloak. We want to talk about the value of discipleship, and we have piped in a message from our friend Dave Rhodes uh, from this year's summit, and if you were at the summit, this is worth listening to again because it was an incredible, incredible message, and if you weren't, I want you to zero in and listen to Dave talk about our value of passing the cloak and making disciples of the next generation. Good morning, church. You guys doing all right this morning? Well, uh, Winston Churchill, the prime minister of Britain in the 1940s and 50s, was referred to by many as the last lion of Britain. 
He got this nickname because of the power and uh, elegance of his oratory rhetoric. He could make a speech. But I don't think Churchill ever got too comfortable with this nickname. Because in one speech, he made this statement. He said, I am not the lion of Britain. The people are the lion of Britain. My job is simply to provide the roar. I love that. I bring that up this morning because as we look around this room, the truth of this room is that no one leader is the movement of grace. No one pastor, no senior leader is the movement of grace. The people are the movement of grace. You are the lions of the movement. And my job this morning is to try and provide a little bit of roar. As a pastor, sometimes you can feel like you're herding cats. Matt Reynolds says, we don't herd the cats, we feed the lions. So I've come to feed some lions this morning. I hope you're all right with that. Uh, we're going to feed the lions this morning, and we're going to step into some of our identity as a community. If you were with us last year at the summit, you know that it was a defining moment for us as a church. Two years removed from the death of our senior leader, in the midst of a bit of disorientation. If you're in this room, your life has been touched by Buddy Hoffman in some way. You may never have met Buddy, but the evidence of Buddy's walk with God is part of the reason why you are here. And Buddy and Jody's ministry through the family of churches is one that, honestly, we stand on the shoulders of giants with. But two years removed from Buddy's death, we were a bit of a disoriented kind of people. And last year at the summit, we opened the scriptures to Joshua chapter 1, where Moses has died in Israel's history. And God comes to Joshua and says, you got to move up from the basement, and you got to come out of the basement, and you got to start to lead. That God's dream is not done with the death of Moses, but God's dream continues to go on and it requires Joshua to step into shoes that feel too big for him to step into. And to live out a life that would not simply settle for the ordinary. As we talked about what that meant for us as a church, we, we tried to name the mantle of the Grace family of churches. Every movement has a mantle, a, a kind of thing that they carry. The, the word mantle means a kind of cloak or a covering. It's a, a, a also um, kind of represents a responsibility or a role or a spirit, so to speak, that is conveyed. And every great movement has that kind of mantle. You know, you think about Bethel and it carries, you know, maybe a mantle for a supernatural. You think about IHOP, it carries a mantle for the prophetic and prayer. You think about passion, it, it carries a mantle for worship. And, and so as senior leaders, we begin to say, well, what is the mantle that we carry? What is the unique work of God that is happening here? And the mantle we named last year was this mantle of being rooted renegades. That we were people who were rooted in scripture and, and family and, and yet we were renegade in our approach to life. And that these paradoxical realities were really at the intersection of all that we are. 
And so last year, we kind of put this uh, diagram on the screen for you. It's in your notes as well. You can take a look at where we looked at this diagram of what it means to be highly rooted and highly renegade. Renegade meaning simply that, that you have changed allegiance and therefore are living a different kind of life. And on this diagram, we said the, the problem is that many times people are only one or the other. So we're, we're rooted and not renegade or renegade and not rooted. And we said, here's the problem with that. When you're rooted, but you don't have a sense of, of renegade, you can become kind of religious. And we said, that's not who we are. So you love the scriptures and you love the Bible and you've got some Bible knowledge, but no edge. It's just kind of religious. But if you're renegade and not rooted, you have a tendency to be rebellious. You're just kind of going after whatever you want to go after and not rooted in anything. We said that's not who we want to be either. If you're not rooted or renegade, you're just kind of regular. That's who most people are, by the way, just regular, not rooted or renegade. But we said at Grace here we want to be rooted and renegade because we believe we're called to be the revolutionary reformers. The voices of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. And many of you have come into the Grace family of churches and you've experienced part of this. Some of you came in and you love the rootedness of who we are. You love the fact that we open the Bible and we preach from the word. You're not sure what to do with this kind of renegade thing that's out there. And others of you, you came in because of the renegade and you want to be part of a holy rebellion. And you're wondering, why do they keep opening this book? You know, what's that about? We just kind of claim the mantle of the rooted renegade. And, and this year, we want to ask the question, what does it look like? What's it look like to be a rooted renegade? What are the core convictions, the practiced principles, the, the, the most important priorities? That no matter where you find yourself, whether you're in the city, the suburb, the small town, or the college campus, all the different places that grace plant, uh, churches are planted, what is it that makes us the same kind of people? What's a rooted renegade look like? And so the senior pastor has been doing some work on this over the last year, and, and my job is just to, to kind of present what we've all been working at together. And so today we're going to talk about the five convictions of a rooted renegade. We're going to be in 1 Kings chapter 19 and 2 Kings chapter 2 where we're going to follow the passing of the mantle, so to speak, from Elijah to Elisha. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to 1 Kings chapter 19. But as you're turning there, it's uh, worth admitting that if you're a student of the Bible and you've read the book of Kings, it's an odd book. I mean, it, look, it, it reads like a, a real-life Game of Thrones novel. There's the violence in there. There's the sensuality in there. Um, I remember uh, a while ago, my daughter Emma, who's 17 now, was like five or six, and we always did family devotions. And uh, we came up to her room to do family devotions, and it was her turn to read whatever scripture she wanted. And so she flipped her Bible open to 1 Kings chapter 1. She's like six years old, and she makes the comment. She said, I love the book of Kings. I was like, all right. <laughs> and she begins the reading in verse 1 of 1 Kings. She says, when David was old and well advanced in years, he could not keep warm even when they put covers over him. So his servant said to him, let us look for a young virgin to attend the king and take care of him. She can lie beside him so that our Lord the king may keep warm. What, what do you do with that? 
We, we just moved straight to prayer at that moment. We were done. We weren't going to do any exposition of Scripture. Some of you are in the room right now claiming, that's my life verse, Dave. I just found my life verse right here in 1 Kings chapter 1. But the story of First and Second Kings is the story of kings' hearts who are turned primarily away from God. And the violence and sensuality of the day is just running rampant. And yet within the middle of that, there are a couple rooted renegades that are called prophets who dare to believe in a different kind of way. And one of those prophets is a guy named Elijah. In 1 Kings chapter 19, Elijah is coming off of his defining moment of influence. He has been on Mount Carmel with the 450 prophets of Baal, and he's kind of had a showdown on Mount Carmel where they're going to call on their God, and he's going to call on his God, and whoever's God answers by fire will be demonstrated to be the true God of Israel. And you got to imagine, you know, Elijah is this rooted renegade because he's rooted in the voice of God, and yet he also doesn't mind talking trash to the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. So as they're calling down for their God, he's like, maybe you need to cry a little bit louder, or maybe your God's a little distracted, or maybe your God's in the bathroom, you just need to wait for a few more minutes. And eventually, Baal doesn't demonstrate his presence, and yet Elijah soaks the water, soaks the altar with water. He prays for the fire of God, and the fire of God descends. And it's Elijah's defining moment of influence. It's probably what he's remembered for most. We all would love those kinds of moments. But in 1 Kings chapter 19, we see Elijah's defining moment of impact. See, influence is what happens when everyone is gathered. Impact is what remains once everyone has scattered. Say that again. Yeah, we can do that. (laughs) Influence is what happens when everyone is gathered. Impact is what remains when everyone is scattered. And Elijah decides, I'm not going to be just a person of influence. But he doesn't kind of do it voluntarily. He kind of backs into it. Because he sees the ups and downs of the life of influence. Because in 1 Kings chapter 18, God does this amazing work, this supernatural kind of work. And he loves being in the middle of it. But it only takes one chapter for him to be running through the wilderness, feeling sorry for himself because he's no longer on the mountaintop. And now in 1 Kings chapter 19, it's a defining moment of impact. And here's the way the story's told. Beginning in verse 9, it says this, And the word of the Lord came to him. That's Elijah. It says, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left. Now they're trying to kill me too. So just in the span of a few verses, he's come from the mountain, and now he's in the middle of the valley. He doesn't know who he is, and he wonders whether what he's been given to with his life is even worth it. The Lord said to him, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord's about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. 
when Elijah heard it, this is something you want to you want to you want to circle because we're gonna wa- we're gonna watch this all throughout the verses that we we read. He pulled his cloak over his face, the mantle, so to speak, over his face, and he went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, "What are you doing here, Elijah?" He replied, "I've been very zealous for the Lord Almighty." The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came. Go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael, king of Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel, Meholah, to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Haziel. Elisha will put to death any who escaped the word of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, and all whose mouths have not kissed him. Here Elijah is in one of the darkest moments of his life, coming off of the highest moment of his life. He's feeling sorry for himself. He feels like he's been giving his life to God, and he he wonders whether it's worth it. I don't know if you've ever been there or not. But there are moments when even those of us who, who dare to sacrifice for God, who dare to see God do great things, often wonder, does it even matter what I'm doing? Maybe you came here to the summit in that kind of moment right now. And I love this word that God gives to Elijah, he really says two things to him. First, he says this, you're not alone. You may feel like you're alone, but you're not alone. The power of a summit like this is just to remember, you're not alone. There are people across seven different churches, and you may not see them every day, but they are underneath the same kind of calling and mantle that you're under, and you may have days that you feel like you're alone, but you're not alone. And then the second word he gets is this. He says, Elijah, get back to what you were called to do. Stop feeling sorry for yourself. Stop just kind of hanging out here with your own pity party. But I've had some things that I've been calling you to do, and they don't always feel extraordinary. Oftentimes, they feel kind of normal. But Elijah, here's what you need to do. You need to get back to your call. See, here's the big thought this morning. Uh, the, the impact of our lives, this is in your notes, the impact of our lives is not determined by the big stuff, good stuff, or bad stuff that we're a part of. And by the way, if you're called by God, there'll be big stuff, good stuff, and bad stuff that you're a part of. The biggest impact of our lives is about the everyday stuff that we commit ourselves to. It's not the big stuff, the bad stuff, or the good stuff. It's the everyday stuff. And so this morning we're asking, what's the everyday stuff that rooted renegades are committed to? What are these core commitments, these practiced principles? We're going to read through the book of Kings to find this as Elisha comes underneath the ministry of Elijah. If you've, if you've heard of the movie, The Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants, um, this is going to be the personhood of the traveling cloak, all right? That's what we're going to be looking at here. So I want you to watch the cloak as we continue to read. I'm going to give these five core convictions or principles. And as we go through them today, I want you, after we do each one, to kind of rate yourself one to ten. 
Like, like, am I leaning into this, or is this something that's kind of foreign to me? And no fives, all right? No fives. And no high fives while we're doing this. That's what Ben Hardman says. No high fives, all right? So here we go. Verse 19. So Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. There's the cloak again. Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I will come to you. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? So Elisha left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook meat and gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he set out to follow Elijah and became his attendant. First conviction of a rooted renegade is that rooted renegades are people who who rooted renegades are, are the kinds of people who plumb the depths. There's an active engagement of word and spirit. This cloak that Elijah covered his face with when God showed up and spoke a word, he now uses to cover Elisha. Can I just tell you the most empowering thing that you can do for any human being is to help them hear the, the voice of God for themselves. This cloak that has been there in that holy moment where Elijah himself felt like he needed to be covered, now he is covering Elisha in that. So that Elisha's life is motivated by the voice of God. See, here's what I know about the world that we live in the world that we live in is noisy. The ambient noise of the world that we live in with all of our hurriedness and all of our focus and all of the distractions gets loud. And it's not that God isn't talking and it's not that God isn't doing it. It's just that everything is so loud that we just can't hear the voice of God because it's so loud. And it's not that God ever stopped talking. It's just that we never got quiet enough to hear his voice. Elijah covers Elisha in the cloak. It, yes, is a symbol of succession, but it's also a symbol of what made Elisha's, Elijah's ministry so successful, that he was someone who was directed by the voice of God. I wonder how much of our lives today is caught up in the ambient noise. Rooted renegades are people who decide, I am not going to let the noise of life dictate my direction in life. That in the midst of the noise, I'm, I'm searching for the one voice. I'm searching for the voice that is worth building a life on. So as we wrap up today, here's what I want you to do. I want you just to gather as a family, and I want you just to pray for a few things. Uh, I, I want you to pray. Uh, that God would give you the name of a very specific person that you are called to pass the cloak to, uh, that you are called to make disciples who make disciples of, and that you're going to continue to invest in and reach out to. Uh, I want you to pray for protection and provision uh, for our entire community right now.
Uh, pray that the Lord would limit the spread uh, of this virus. Uh, pray that we would not live into fear and just simply pray for um, all the workers that aren't able to stop working right now, uh, all the hospital workers, all the doctors, all the nurses, they're feeling overworked and, and overwhelmed right now, uh, all the people who are working in the service industry that are um, at work every day, and maybe think of specific people who are probably the most vulnerable among you, and just pray for them. Uh, in this time. And then I want you to end with gratitude. Let's end uh, just praising God and thanking God for your family, uh, thanking God for something specific that has happened today. Uh, and uh, let's just spend some time worshiping him and honoring him and thanking him for all that he's doing. We're glad that you guys joined us today. Uh, we'll be online again next week uh, at the same spot. Thanks. Wash your hands. Need